Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. The, the, the text is Matthew 5, <clears throat> Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Now you understand what I was talking about. For the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then the Phillips translation, which is a great translation just on the New Testament, uh, it says, same text, it says, happy are those, everybody say happy, who have suffered persecution. How many of you are happy because you suffered, I'm not going to go, how many of you are happy for suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, and what happiness will be yours when people blame you and ill treat you and say all kinds of slanderous things against you for my sake. Be glad then, yes, be tremendously glad, for your reward in heaven is magnificent. It's a great word. They persecuted the prophets before your time in the same way. We all have wants, don't we? We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We want to be successful. We want to live in peace. We want to have good friends and families and jobs and careers and probably other wants. But of all our wants, Persecution is not usually one of them. Is that right? Let me see your hands. If you say, oh, no, I want persecution to be one of my wants. Is there people like that in here? Wow. Um, I, 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 I did a survey on this for all my friends, Christian friends, because I thought no one would say they'd want to be persecuted. But I found two that did. And uh, that was Zach, Heather's husband, and Christopher. And they weren't kidding. They said, yeah, I'm looking forward to going through that. And I thought, you should be looking forward to going to a doctor because you need, you need help. <laughs> um, we don't mind the first seven. There are seven Beatitudes mentioned before this eighth one. We don't, mention, we don't mind the first seven uh, Beatitudes or blessings, but who wants persecution? We don't mind meekness. We don't mind com- being comforted. We don't mind inheriting the earth. We don't mind being a peacemaker, but persecution, that's a different story, isn't it? However, persecution will always uh, be with us. Persecution of Christians has always been and always will be. It's just something uh, that is there. Persecution of godly followers is inevitable. And you know who said that? Jesus said that. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't hide part of the truth from us. He told us like it's going to be. And he told us that so we could expect it. And when it comes, he would be there. Paul did the same thing in 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul said, indeed, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All, not some, but all. But we, however, sometimes forget the first suffered Christians, the early church Christians, Every aspect of their life was disrupted. 
Their work life was disrupted. Their social life was disrupted. Their family lives were disrupted. The penalties which a follower of Jesus had to suffer were terrible beyond description. All the world knows, of course, of the early Christians who were thrown to the lions or were burned at a stake. But these were the least brutal persecutions or deaths of our early brothers and sisters. William Barclay puts it this way, Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them on fire and used them as living torches to light up his gardens. Imagine going to that garden party. He sewed them in skins of wild animals. And then he set his hunting dogs loose on them so they could tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped by the pincers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to their tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their very eyes. Their hands and feet were burned, and then cold water was poured over them to lengthen their pain and agony. These things are not pleasant, but they are what they had to think about if they were going to take a stand for Jesus. Why did the pro, and I I wanted to know this, why did the Romans persecute the Christians so? There were probably several reasons, but the main reason was political. It seems like it always goes back to that. When they're suffering in a country, it's political. There are political reasons. The emperor of Rome was growing immensely larger, even to the point of conquering the then whole known world. It was becoming harder to figure out how to control or how to keep all these nations and people groups together under the reign of Rome. At first, it was by force and the worship of the goddess Roma and the other Roman gods. But that was proving not to be enough. The government needed something more, and so they deified their leader. He was now no longer just the supreme in command, but he was looked upon, treated as, and believed to be a true god. Once a year, a man had to go and burn a pinch of incense at an altar to the Godhead of Caesar. And to say at that time, Caesar is Lord, that was a commitment. Caesar worship was more than a test of political, it was more of a test of political loyalty than anything else. In fact, when a man burned his pinch of incense, He received a certificate, a libellus, a government document that certified he had done this. And when he did it, he was free to go and worship any God he liked, so long as the worship to his God did not interfere with the supreme loyalty to Caesar. The early church refused to conform. Aren't you thankful for that? They showed us the way. They refused to confirm, conform. Confronted with the choice of Caesar or Christ, they uncompromisingly 
chose Christ. Don't you think that's great? However, the Roman Empire could not afford pockets of disloyalty. And so these God-loving, God-fearing people became a threat to the very foundation of the Roman government and empire. And the, the, uh, these early believers, these early Christians, were automatically labeled as outlaws, criminals. Does that remind you of anything that's going on today? In so many countries around the world, including our country, are we getting closer to this kind of thing where the government and what the government says and does is more important than anything else and there can be no voice against it? Any voice against it is liable to be branded as criminal, worthy of prison or more, happening before our very eyes in a place we never thought it would happen. When the Romans met each other, when they greeted each other, they came up and they saluted. They didn't say hello or hi or how are you doing? They saluted by raising their right hand and saying Caesar is Lord. The response would be from the person they were greeting would be likewise. They raised their hand and said Caesar is Lord. Continuing to keep before the people the idea of Caesar worship. But then all of a sudden upon that society and into the world came a little baby and grew up. His name was Jesus. And he came to save the world. Came to save us from our sin. Not in our sin, but from our sin. Came to set us free, to deliver us. To give us new life, new hope, peace, security. Did a lot of kind things, loving things. But because he said things that the government took as disloyalty, the church government, by the way, he was bound, tortured, suffered, was nailed to a cross, and he died. But thank God that's not the end of the story. He rose again. Aren't you thankful for that? That, that cross should, uh, should remind us all the time of who he is and what he did. And he rose from the dead and he commissioned us, his people, to go forth and make disciples. And they did. <laughs> now when someone came up and greeted people and said, Caesar is Lord, and they happened to come in contact with a newborn Christian, a follower of Jesus, they also raised their hand. And when someone said, Caesar is Lord, they said, no, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. <coughs> that caused a lot of problems. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice is wearing out, as you can tell. Aren't you glad for that Jesus we serve? <coughs> Excuse me. William Barclay put it this way, the only crime of the Christian was that he set Christ above Caesar. And for that supreme loyalty, the Christian died in their thousands and faced torture for the sake of the lonely supremacy of Christ. So knowing all this, talking about persecution, reading it in the Bible about suffering, I thought, what? You were told to. 
It's about time. It's about time. I could have choked to death, you know that. I don't usually like to have water up here because there are people in the audience that are really thirsty. And uh, they're saying, how come no one said? So if you are, raise your hand and she will, come, she will come out and give you some water. I think that would do that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so what do I say about persecution? Because it's not a lovely topic, is it? I, I, I told one of my friends, he's a Christian. He found out I was preaching. He said, what are you going to preach on? I said, oh, what I'm preaching on, I don't think the audience, it's not their favorite subject. It's, uh, I'm preaching on persecution and suffering. He goes, oh, I can't wait till I hear that subject. Every, I get up on Sunday morning hoping they're going to be talking about that at church. And of course, he was being a little facetious. What do I say about persecution? I realize we didn't need to be as concerned about persecution or suffering as need to be ready to go through it when it comes. Now, I realize this is not a comfortable kind of message, but, but, but stay with me and understand Jesus would not do anything for us that wasn't for our good and for our best. And if there is suffering and if there is persecution, he will be right there with us and take us through it. But I, I realize we didn't need to be as concerned about persecution or suffering as being ready to go through it when it comes. I realized I could talk about the benefits or blessings of suffering, and there are many, some of which include our faith will increase, our character will grow, our conviction will deepen. But I also realized that regardless of these blessings and many more, they wouldn't necessarily prepare you or me to endure suffering for the Lord. Isn't that right? Most don't naturally want to suffer or hear messages about having to suffer, no matter what the consequences. Tell me there's a reward. Tell me how great it's going to be afterwards. You say, but I'm not thinking of the afterwards. I'm thinking of the now. And I'm not too excited about that. So I was perplexed what to talk to you about regarding persecution. Lord, what do you want me to say? How many of you know it's good to go to the Lord and ask him? Because he answers all questions and he answers them for our good. Didn't get an answer until one night I was sound asleep and all of a sudden I was awakened and I heard one word, just one. I said, that's it. God has spoken. And I went back to sleep. And I got up the next morning and I remembered. Usually when you hear something in the middle of the night and you fall asleep, unless you write it down, you don't remember it. At least I don't. But I remembered. And that word was loyalty. I knew the Lord had answered the question and what to speak on about persecution. And so this would be another perspective, another point of view, another approach to regarding suffering or persecution. So let me talk about some things about loyalty because loyalty is important. And I know that all of you sitting here know that loyalty is important in a lot of areas. It's important on your job. It's important in your schooling. It's important in your family. It's important with your God. Isn't that right? Loyalty is key. Loyalty is a character trait. Now, we've spent a lot of time, Kathy and I, my wife, talking about Character traits. Loyalty certainly is a character trait. Character is who you are on the inside. It's not necessarily so much of what you say and do 
on the outside because you can say and do things just to impress people. But character is who you really are. D.L. Moody says character is who we are in the dark when no one can see us. And if you want to know what your character's like, think of what you do if you'd never be caught or never know what, if no one ever knew what you were doing. That's your real character. It should be the same as you sitting in the church with all your Christian friends. But a lot of times it's not. So when we're sitting in a car driving down the freeway and we're all alone in that car, your wife's not there, your children are not there, and someone cuts in front of you, guess what comes out? Your character. You ought to start taking notes of when you're alone, what your character is really like. You might be surprised. So I wanted to give you a definition of character. So I brought my trusty little ABCs of character book. This is not an advertisement, but we do have these available somewhere. It's a great book. It goes from A to Z and, and gives definitions of character traits. Now, these aren't modern day uh, definitions. We spent a lot of time, or at least Kathy did, on going back to the first dictionary that was ever written in the United States, which was quite a creation, and into the Bible, matching it with the Bible. So taking the early dictionary, which was done by uh, Webster, who was a, a very godly man, very godly person. In fact, I own an 1828 dictionary from Webster, the first one. You can buy those. Did you know that? And when you get in those, in that dictionary, you'll find that words meant something far different than they mean today or they're defined today. And if you look up the word repent, for instance, in Webster's dictionary, he goes through, tells you what it is. It's a turning around, 180 degree turn. And then he gives you all these scriptures from the Bible that talk about repentance. That's a great kind of dictionary. That's what we used to teach our children. So we got the definition from that. So I turn to the L, the L word. L is loyalty. It just happens to be loyalty in this book. And it says being true and faithful, true and faithful to a promise, person, duty, ideal, or love. The simple definition, being true and faithful to others, promises you have made and responsibilities you've been, you've been given. And then it has a little story and poem. It's a great book. You know what we do with this book? We put it inside the suitcases we give to foster kids, which we're going to do when we have a packing, which you can come to. You're supposed to laugh because I just gave you, a, I just gave you an advertisement. Does this crowd never laugh? They, they look pretty serious to me. I'm, I'm going to just look at Cindy because she's laughing and Junior's laughing. Uh, folks, you can laugh in the house of God. That's, that's not a sin. Okay, anyway, let's get, that's another sermon. Okay. Uh, so common uh, synonyms of loyalty are allegiance, devotion, fidelity, and piety. All these words mean faithfulness to someone or something to which one is bound by pledge, commitment, or duty. Loyalty is a choice, a choice we make. David says in Psalms 119.30, the way of loyalty I have chosen, I have kept your judgments. So loyalty is the way. And just to be quite candid with you, I really don't want to suffer. So I'm not part of Zach and, and Christopher. I, I have a hard time when I go to the dentist. To me, that's supreme pain and suffering. Does anybody have that problem but me? I am so bad in the dentist office that when I used to go and I had my dentist was in, in the middle of California, we lived up there. 
And there was a community college where they were teaching all these girls to be dental assistants or guys to be dental assistants. And when I would come in, they would notify the school that I would come in. And so when I got there and, and, and the friend, my friend, the dentist came, I said, what are all these? Why, are, why do you have so many dental assistants? He says, oh, it's part of the school program. They've heard about you. And they just want to see what it's really like when people, people are terrified and feel they're being persecuted and are suffering. So that didn't help me at all. Loyalty is a choice. I don't necessarily want to suffer, but I do want to be able to suffer for Jesus' sake, don't you? I don't want to suffer, but I do want to be able to suffer. So just be loyal to Jesus. Let nothing cause you to renounce, betray, or desert your loyalty. No friend, no job, no enemy, no attraction, no foe, no attachment. Let nothing stand in your way of your loyalty to Jesus. Loyalty is a godly character trait that leads you into persecution. And loyalty is the godly trait that will lead you through persecution. So loyalty is two-sided. Give me, let me give you some benefits of loyalty to help you. First, uh, number one, God preserves and protects and guards those loyal to him. Aren't you thankful for that? So always blessing. God does not have to give us blessings. He just says, do this. But he doesn't. He does do this with blessing. That's the kind of God we have. So number one, God preserves, protects, and guards those loyal to him. Proverbs 2.8, he protects the paths of justice and guards the way of those who are loyal to him. I want God to protect me and guide me along the right paths. Don't you? I want that. Number two, God blesses those loyal to him. God blesses his loyal people, but punishes all who want to get rich quick. Proverbs 28, 20. God blesses those people. Number three, God strengthens, strengthens those loyal to him. He strengthens those loyal to him. Second Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. How many of you ever need strength and protection from the evil one? Could I see your hands? Let me see. Okay, a lot of, don't you go through life sometimes and feel like your resources are exhausted? Your energy is exhausted? Physically, mentally, emotionally, you're just not able to handle it? but you realize that Jesus is there and he can handle all of it. And he'll be with you to give you strength. So I pray for strength every day. I pray for strength at night. Do you know you can do that and God will strengthen you? He's that kind of God. He loves to do it. And he never runs out. There's not a moment of weakness in him. Day and night, he doesn't sleep, but he will give us the strength. And so the Bible says that he strengthens us because he is faithful. Number four, God is always there for those who love him. God is always there for those who love him. One who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life. Excuse me. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's the scripture. He's there always for you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is always with us. He's always there. Now, I told this earlier, uh, Dave Wilkerson was a great evangelist. He was a friend of mine. Our ministries were next to each other. 
And he did not like to fly. He, in fact, he went everywhere by coach or by car, but he wouldn't fly. And, we, and I asked him one day, why, why, why do you not like to fly? He said, I, I just don't think it's scriptural. I said, really? He said, yeah. Matthew 28, 28 20 says, lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always. <laughs> so I guess high and the God's not with us. So that was his scriptural context for not flying. But I realize that um, a lot of suffering that we go through, by the way, the, the suffering we're talking about right now is the suffering for God's sake, for, for righteousness sake. You understand what I'm talking about? It's not just for suffering because a lot of us go through suffering and persecution that has nothing to do with God. Am I right about that? How many of you have suffered in this room? Let me see this. Any hand? Okay, only a few of you have suffered. That's amazing to me. How many of you have ever gone through any kind of persecution? Someone said something about you, bullied you, whatever. Let me see your hand. Okay, just a few more. Okay, the rest of you we would like to meet, and I would like to find out what your secret is because I know that a lot of times we go through things that are tough, don't we? Now, how many of you know that a lot of things we go through, your persecution or something, doesn't necessarily come from God or from serving God, but is self-inflicted. Any of you had self-inflicted problems? You caused your own, Paul, you raising your hand? I'm the master of that. I've caused more problems for myself than anybody I know. And I had to learn to trust in God. I, sometimes our lack of trust of God causes all kinds of things to happen to us because we think we know what's best. So, I ended up in the hospital for 29 days because I doctored myself. Has anybody ever done that? It's like a man thing. You're gonna man through it. You don't go to a gas station, service station, ask for directions. You're gonna find that direction. This is for GPS. You're gonna find that place. If it takes you a week or two, you'll find it. <laughs> and the poor wives that have to go through that and say, why don't we just like a pride thing. I don't have to ask. I know it's just right over here. Well, I did that with my, I had a pain and I didn't take care of it. I diagnosed it myself. The pain came back in a couple years. I diagnosed it the same way again. I knew I had pain, food poisoning. I did that for eight years. Finally, it was so bad I had to go to emergency. <laughs> and when I was pulled in to emergency, the doctor because it was very terrible pain. And the doctor looked at me and I said, doctor, it's food poisoning. I told the doctor what it was. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the doctor looked at me immediately and said, it's not food poisoning. He didn't examine me. He didn't take his stethoscope. He didn't take my temperature. He looked at me and said, it's not food poisoning. Guess who was right? He was, but because I had diagnosed and was self-afflicted, I ended up in the hospital for 29 days and almost died. We cause many of our own problems, but here's why I'm telling you that. Because the Bible says, lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Whether it's for God's sake, whether it's for uh, living righteously or living holy, or just because we have problems, God is still there with us all the time. Do you understand that? You can call on him, folks, anytime. You need to have a relationship because you need to know his phone number. <laughs> if you know what I'm getting at, you know? 
You need to know who he is so you can't call him. Number five, God gives life to those loyal to him. God gives life to those loyal to him. Proverbs 21, 21. One who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. Great benefits of loyalty. Now, you would ask me, how do you grow in your loyalty? How do I grow in my loyalty to God? Well, I'm going to give you just four things that will help you grow in your loyalty to God. Number one, spend time with God. Can you all say that? Spend time with God. Now, we always hear this when there are these lists that people make on the board. You know, if you want to be uh, more like him or if you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to uh, have health, it's a, spend time with God. Don't we hear that a lot? But we spend time with God so many times that have nothing to do with God but to do with us only. I'm challenging you. Spend time with God to find out more who God is. That's the challenge. You know, we've all had relationships and how, how have, and you, some of you have the relationship where the other person could care less about who you are but wants you to know who they are. And they spend all the time talking about themselves. Have you had that kind of relationship? And, and, and they just walk away and say, I don't want to be around that person because that's a single-sided relationship. So when we come to God, we need to come into his presence and say, I want to know who you are. Now, I don't care if you're in here and you know God, and you've served him for years, or you're in here and you're brand new, and this is the first time you've come to this church because you heard it was such a great church. It's the same for you as it is for the person that's come here for the long time. You can come before this God and say, I don't know you. I don't know much about you, but I do want to know you. And I want to know who you are and what you're like. The Bible says, if you seek him with all your heart, he will be found of you. He will show you what he's like. So Zach was telling me, Tony says, I've come up with a new kind of prayer. I says, what is it, Zach? He says, it's called the shut up prayer. The prayer of shut up. Now, I know if there's some teachers in the room, Sherry, they don't like the use of that word at all. So teachers just feel like you're going through a little suffering or persecution right now. The prayer of shut up. Do you think about that? I'm not going to talk, but I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to let him talk. I don't need to tell him who I am because he knows all about me. He knows everything about me that there is to know, so I don't need to tell him. I have problems, I need healing, I need this, I need that. He knows all that, I don't need to tell him any of that. What I do want to know is, who are you and what are you like? I, I want to have, an, I want to have a, a relationship with you that lasts not just for this life, but for all eternity. And I think I need to know who you are and what you're like. Oh, wow. How do you think heaven would take that kind of prayer? Moses said, God, show me your ways. God did it. <coughs> it says in the Psalms that God showed Moses his ways. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, spend time in God's word. Now, <coughs> a lot of times we spend time in God's word to get blessings. Isn't that right? I, I know people that will read a text and there won't be anything there that is a blessing to them and they'll just turn the page. I got to find, I, and they'll go through the Bible back and forth till they find something that, that will minister to them and their personal needs. How about going through that book and saying, I want to know what you're like. This scripture, show me what it means about you. I, I told this story. When, 
back in my day, I hate to say that, and Junior called me a legend. You know, you know what, that, that, that was not a compliment. That's not a compliment, folks. When he called me a legend, that was his nice way of saying, the old guy's coming up to preach. So we do have some legends in the crowd right now, I, I tell you that. And, and Junior, if he keeps doing those kind of videos, he's gonna be a legend too. But, um, <laughs> listen, in my day, which I should never say, but some of you will understand what I'm talking about. We didn't have cell phones early on. We didn't have internet. We didn't have texting. We didn't have any of those kind of things. We did have landlines where we could call if we could get to one. We had phone booths, which you know nothing about. If you could get one of those and you had the right change, it's crazy. But how we communicated, especially if you were trying to develop a relationship and the one you loved or wanted to love or wanted to know, and they, they moved away or they went to school, is you did this. It's strange. It would be very strange now to tell some of the younger ones here. You got out a piece of paper, which they don't understand what that is, but you know, it's a piece of paper. They, they don't, uh, wood fiber, it's, 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 you know, it's made. And, and you could write on it. You could actually write on this piece of paper because you had a writing tool. It was called a pen or a pencil. These were, I know they're foreign. And you could write on it, but of course you don't know what writing means either because in school today, they don't teach writing anymore. They teach, just make everything an initial. You don't want long words because if we're gonna go in the caves, back to the caves, we've gotta just put hieroglyphics in there and, and we can't just write sentences down because that's where we're going. <laughs> Is that right? I'm, I'm telling you, it's getting that way. So we talk, you can't understand what they're saying. Uh, you text and there's all these initials and they have special initials so the parents don't know what they're talking about. But you can buy books that have all these initials in them that tell what they're talking Anyway, we used to write letters back in, they're letters, you don't know what a letter is because you think it's, that's, I, it's hard to talk to an audience today. Letters like A, B, C, no, not those kind. They were letters, they were papers of communication. It's like the Bible is a book of letters. It's a book of love letters. And that's what we would write. We would write these love letters back and forth. And I couldn't wait to get a love letter from my girlfriend because that would make my day bright. And I would get it. And, and, and this letter is folded up and put in an envelope, which you probably don't know what that is either. But it was, and, and they put a postage stamp which you might or not know what that is because they're going so high, they'll, they'll probably be extinct pretty soon. So, and then a letter carrier would bring, all these things that are obsolete, you know. Now we have Amazon Prime, and they knock at your door. You, you run to the door, they're already gone. The package is there. What did, how did they move so fast? They don't want to say anything. They got their next, anyway. So you get a letter from your sweetheart. Some of the ladies already know where I'm going on this. That letter was doused in perfume. Come on, you ladies know what I mean? Some of the men are laughing because they know. They, is that what happened to you? Is that right? They put perfume on that whole letter and they got special kind of paper because you know you could ruin paper. But they would pour this perfume all over the letter 
And it was cheap perfume, guys. It, it, we didn't, they didn't spend a lot of money. It was cheap, cheap stuff. You could buy it. You could buy it at Target, you know. But it smelled like them. It was their favorite perfume. And they would put it. And when you got it and you looked around because you didn't want to be embarrassed, you didn't want any of your friends around for sure. So you'd get the envelope and you'd look at, oh. You wouldn't open the, I'm telling you the truth. It's what we, you spent 15 minutes just sniffing the envelope, you know, forget cocaine, forget drugs. You didn't need any of that stuff. You just sniff the letter and think of your honey. You know what I'm talking about? This crowd is smiling. They, they identify with that. Yeah. Some of you ladies ought to write a letter to your husband just, just for a fun thing and douse it in perfume and send it to him. He'll, he'll probably burn it because he'll think it's some other lady writing to him. You know, he, he won't remember. Anyway, you get that letter and you sniff it. Oh, why? Because it represented somebody that you love. The Bible represents somebody we love and we want to know more about. And after we sniffed that letter for 15 or 20 minutes, then we would unseal the envelope and we'd get the letter out and we would read it word by word and we would read it over and over and over and God help us if we only treated his word the same way we treat a letter from another person. And I would look at that letter and I'd say, does she still love me? And if, if it was three pages and it should have been four like last time, then I thought, she's losing her interest in me. If she said, dear Tony, instead of dearest, like she said the last time, I got shook up. So I would read and write and read between the lines. Between the lines were more important than the lines. You want to know more about him? Spend time in his word. Spend time in his work. When you spend time with people in work, you find out about them. So spend time not to do the work as a duty, but to know more about him. And number four, spend time with God's people, people that know him. Not church people necessarily. They could be church people, but you want people that really know him. When you go out to lunch, you're, you, 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 you know, after church, you're not talking just about the things of the world. You're actually talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's like. The more you know him, the more you will love him. The more you love him, the more you will want to be like him. The more you are like him, the more your character will be like his. And the more your character is like his, the more you will suffer for his sake. And great will be your reward in heaven. Proverbs 3.3 3 says, don't let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Hosea 6.6 6 says, for I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In the early church, when it came to a choice between loyalty and compromise, the true Christian never hesitated to choose loyalty. Ian Murray, British pastor and author, says loyalty to God is our first obligation in all that we are called to do in the service of the gospel. Oswald Chambers, many of you have read his books, says beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Christ Jesus. You ask me how deep, how wide, how far, how high should my loyalty be? I will tell you this, unto death, and even death if it needs be. Be loyal, you will be blessed both now and in eternity. Blessed are the persecuted, the scripture says. 
And so now I'd like to give you the title of my sermon. Loyal unto death and beyond. Loyal unto death and death and beyond. That's what God is looking for. I want to close with just a little story about a man who loved God so much. He was so faithful to, to God, his God. And he suffered for that, terribly suffered. And uh, it started, it was in the 1800s. And it started with the Welsh revival that spread all over the world, great revival. And out of that revival came all these missionaries that wanted to go take the gospel to all the world. And so one of those missionaries went to India. That was a tough place to go. And went to the northeastern part of India to some of the remotest tribes that he could go to because they had never heard about Jesus at all. And he found this one tribe, the Garo tribe. They were ruthless people. They were lawless. They were demonic. They were headhunters. And all the people around them, he tried to preach the gospel. And he was there for a long time. And not one person met the Lord. Would you get discouraged if that happened? You left your home, your country, your house, your land. No one meets Christ. Day after day, night after night, no converts. He was getting very discouraged. He was ready to go back home and he says, no, I can't go. God, you've revived my heart. I want to see people know you. And finally, one family came to the Lord. Is it worth it for one family? It's worth it for one family. A husband, his name was Nook Singh. Nook Singh, his wife and two little boys. We saw children getting dedicated this morning. Weren't they precious, those kids? He had two little boys. He was an outspoken person for the cause of Christ. And he speak to all the tribes people. Well, they hated it. One day, a group of the tribe, the villagers, went to their chief. And they said, chief, You've got to do something about Nuke Singh. He keeps talking to us about this man called Jesus. We don't want to hear about this Jesus. We don't know who this Jesus is. We don't need this Jesus. We have our own gods. It disturbed and outraged the chief. So he got some of his elders. And they went to the little hut where Nuke Singh and his family lived. And they violently removed those people out of their hut and brought him to the center of the village. And there was standing in the center of the village, Nutsing, his wife and his two little boys. And the chief said, you've disrupted our people. You've caused chaos in our community. You must renounce this God that you're talking about. And he said, I can't deny Jesus Christ. Yeah. He changed my life. My loyalty is to him. The chief says, you will pay for this. We will get you to renounce this person, this man. And he called the archers forward. And he said, I'm, I'm going to give you another chance. Renounce this Jesus. 
or we're going to kill your two little boys. His reply, Nuke Singh's reply, became the foundation of one of the greatest Christian songs ever written. Nuke Singh said, I cannot renounce my Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. With that statement, the chieftain gave his signal and the archers let go of the arrows and they flew and hit the two little boys and killed them instantly. Right in front of Nuke Singh and his wife, the two little boys fell at their feet, started forming a pool of blood. Did he suffer for Jesus? Was he persecuted for Jesus' sake? The chieftain was angry and said, Nuke Singh, now will you renounce this Jesus? If you don't renounce this Jesus now, we will kill your wife, the mother of your two children. He said, look at his children, dad, his wife. He looked at the chieftain and he said, my loyalty is to Jesus. Though no one joined me, still I will follow him. The chieftain gave the signal. The arrows flew. The wife fell at his feet, dead. The chieftain says, we give you one more time. Betray, denounce this man you call Jesus. The new thing said, though no one go with me, Still, I will follow Jesus. The arrows flew. Nuke Singh was killed. All four of them lay there dead. They thought that would be the end of that strange tale about this man called Jesus. How much do you know it's the blood of martyrs that are the seeds of faith? The opposite happened. They thought... That would be the end of this nonsense about Jesus. The tribal chieftain looked at that. He said, who is this man? Who is this Jesus that a man would give up his two sons and his wife and his own life? Who is this Jesus? I must know him. And fell down and gave his life to Jesus. Scores, scores of the village people knelt and said, we too will serve this Jesus because no one would do what Nuke Singh has done unless he was the real God. And out of that broke this revival in that community in India. Later on, about in the early 1900s, that was in 1880, by the way, when that happened, in about 1905, there was another young Indian boy who gave his heart to the Lord. In our internship, we read his story. His name is Sundar Singh. He was 15. At 14, he was showing off in front of his friends at school. He took a New Testament and burned it right in front of all his friends. At 15, though, God got a hold of him and he met the Lord Jesus. And he committed his life to Jesus and he went home and he knew what it would mean to commit your life to Jesus. 
He went home and told his parents that he had committed his life to Jesus. And his dad threw him out, gave him a blanket, that's all, and said, you're on your own. We're disowning you. We have nothing to do with you. And at 15, that boy lived on his own, but not being disloyal to Jesus. His dad, a few years later, tried to poison his own son. But, but Sundar Singh lived and kept preaching to his dad. One day, his dad met Jesus. Sundar Singh became this great, great, great evangelist all over India. He would walk into the Himalayan mountains and preach the gospel. Yeah. It's a great story. You ought to read it. But he took those words from Nuk Singh and he took his sitar, his musical instrument, and he put a melody to that song. And he started to sing that song all over India. A little later, that song came to the ears of an American composer. And he rewrote the music to fit this American ear. And in 1959, that song was sung for the first time to the American public in a Billy Graham crusade. I have decided to follow Jesus. Yeah. How many know that song? How many have heard that song? Yeah. It's turned out to be probably one of the greatest Christian songs the world has ever known. Now that's because a man knew what it was to be loyal to Jesus. Did he want to suffer? No. Did he want his family killed? No. He knew one thing. I have committed my life to Jesus. I'm loyal to death and beyond to the cause of Christ. Thank you. That's my message. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.